Good morning church family. This week God has been dealing with me pretty dang hard. I know it's still in a loving way, but He's really been putting to the test my commitment to live a life of repentance and my commitment to change. This week I'm talking about the things we try to control, and what controls us when we take things out of God's hands. This week is going to be convicting, and maybe hard, but it is good, and there is a lot in His Word to back it up. And I'm absolutely good with getting personal for it. Allow me to take you back exactly one week to last Monday. I wake up, start my day by deciding to read through 1st and 2nd Peter that week, and very shortly after I look up the background on the books and an overview of the way to apply it, God tells me I'm going to be talking about control this week. Great, right? Just what everyone wants to hear I get to be put in my place all week just so I get the joy of passing on the message. Bring it on I guess? Part of me was excited to see what He was going to show me, but part of me knew, even without any inkling of where He was taking it, that it wouldn't be pretty. So lo and behold, my older brother calls my husband that night and informs him, who proceeds to inform me, that he has just been fired. Immediately my heart drops and, upon hanging up with Jonathan, I cry out to God to be with him, my mom and my dad, and that he would protect them like he had protected me all those years ago. I did the right thing there. I started off on the right foot, bringing my concerns to God, putting in the prayer request because where two or more are gathered there he is also, and by messaging my brother to offer support, while also letting him know that I could not directly help right now. What God had told me that morning was the farthest thing from my mind for the next three hours, during which time I struggled to stop thinking about it, and struggled desperately to keep my hands out of the problem. And He let me go on like this for a while. But about ten minutes before my co-worker walks in, I'm mopping the floor and praying, yet again, for His protection upon my brother and reminding him of all the times he had done the same for me, and verbally acknowledging how badly I wanted to warn my mom of what was going to come, and God stops me and says, What are you so afraid of? rather strongly. So I, also rather strongly, replied back, I'm afraid of not being there. At this point my teeth are clenched and I'm struggling not to cry because can't God see how much I care about my brother? In my mind at the time, it felt like he was attacking me for my compassion. Of course this wasn't the case, but in the middle of the mess I was incapable of seeing it any other way. Want to know how God talks to me when I'm about to throw a tantrum? But you don't need to be there. I'm there. You spent years praying to get away from there. And ever since, when things get hard, you want to go there all over again. Just let me take care of it. Talk about popping my growing balloon of rage. God has a way of putting things in perspective for me real quick. Once I had let out a few deep sighs while I mentally fixed my tone with Him, He proceeded to bring to my remembrance all the times I had tried to help in the past and how wrong it had all gone. I won't go into detail here, but it wasn't a very pretty look into my former years. He then began to explain that every time I felt that itch to begin controlling something or someone, I needed to start asking myself what I had stopped trusting Him in. Because how many of us know that we can have absolute faith in God in some areas of our life, while we still struggle through others? How many times have we mistakenly labeled fear as natural-slash-emotional stress? How many times have we failed to see the lies we believe simply because we don't see the need to control things as not a lack of faith necessarily, but as a symptom of growing fear? You see, The books of 1st and 2nd Peter are all about reframing our suffering and getting our minds back on the eternal kingdom. Yes, we suffer in the here and now, but this is not permanent, and this will not last. God is still in control. God still has greater. God will not back down from His Word. Keep doing well, especially when the unrighteous prosper. Keep raising the standard, the flag, of a different kingdom. As I read those two books, 
I couldn't help but begin to wonder just how much the people of Peter's day had probably tried to petition God to change things and improve their situations, or how many times they tried to put their own fates in their hands. But the Bible clearly warns against this. It says in Isaiah 30:15-18, ESV. For thus said the Lord God, the Holy One of Israel, in returning and rest you shall be saved, in quietness and in trust shall be your strength. But you were unwilling, and you said, No. We will flee upon horses, therefore you shall flee away, and, we will ride upon swift steeds, therefore your pursuers shall be swift. A thousand shall flee at the threat of one, at the threat of five you shall flee, till you are left like a flagstaff on the top of a mountain, like a signal on a hill. Therefore the Lord waits to be gracious to you, and therefore He exalts Himself to show mercy to you. For the Lord is a God of justice, blessed are all those who wait for Him. See, the people of Israel had a problem persistently, intentionally, and patiently waiting on God, especially in times of stress. Sometimes we have a tendency to believe our problems are new but like Ecclesiastes 1-9 says, there is nothing new under the sun. Fear made the Israelites try to control their response to war, even when God had already made a plan for their deliverance. If we're being honest, I'm pretty sure we can all relate. But what's amazing about His Word is that we can find the answer, still, right in the first part of these verses. Allow me, if you will, to plug in a principle here. Allow me to take away whatever argument might be brewing about God being a little unfair to us. In returning, to my word, and resting beneath the wings of the Almighty, you shall be saved, in quieting your doubts, and in trusting my authority, shall be your strength. But you were unwilling and you said, No. We will flee upon, imaginations, therefore you shall flee away, and, we will ride upon swift, imaginings, therefore your, fears, shall be swift, in overtaking you. Now does the narrative look familiar? See, we can easily get stuck in our prayers simply because of our errant thoughts. We know that there is a difference between interceding for someone, continuing to pray because you're afraid that God hasn't heard it the first time, and continuing to pray because you need to keep your flesh under His Spirit and keep it out of the way. But it's not always easy to see those differences in the moment. What is the true motive behind our prayers during those times of high stress and extremely trying days? It's not always easy to tell. But two are in faith and one is bound by fear. The first time I prayed it was to intercede on his behalf. The second time it was because my brother, two hours in, still hadn't had the conversation because he couldn't find a safe place to go for the night, in my fear I prayed again because I had asked for his protection to be upon him, but not open doors for him to sleep in. The third time I prayed it was for myself, to remind myself of Daniel and the angel being dispatched right away. To remind myself that a delay did not mean a future disappointment, and that I would not continue to act like my prayers were doing nothing. Church, often from our very first prayer, God hears us and has a plan for our problem. But when did we forget the waiting period that often exists with His provision? When did we become so fearful of leaving it alone? Why, Church, do we trust God so much with the big picture, but trust Him so little with the things close to home? Where is that disconnect coming from? I can tell you with all sincerity that this root of mistrust is coming from a place much older than you or I, and even though your life experiences can magnify it, they are not its sole cause. Have you ever noticed that the very first words God speaks in Scripture are, let there be light, but that the order thereafter is always, there was evening and there was morning, for every day? Why does God speak of the darkness first, when His light was the first of creation? There are many biblical reasons why, but let me offer up one more. Could it be that God is showing us that even though we begin our day, prayer, in the darkness of our trial, if we would be patient, we would see that the light, provision, is already rising? The light is coming regardless of how many times we cry out for it. 
The light was already planning to come back the moment darkness fell. We do not need to fear what we do not control. The answers are coming. Let me say it again. We do not need to fear what we do not control. Your finances are in God's hands. Lift yours in worship instead. His lips are still speaking over your promises. So talk about your plan for after it's been received instead of your doubts. God will not leave your prodigal alone, so don't hover. Just listen and obey when He releases you to do your part, a little at a time. Don't stop praying. But pray from a place of faith, not a place of fear or worry. There is a big difference between godly compassion, and the need to feel obligated to intervene. Because let's just be real, how many times have we been beaten down by being told that we don't care simply because we know that getting overly involved will just get in God's way? All week I have been fighting this. All week God has been trying to get me to see that He is not ignorant of any situation. He is not angry at this struggle, but He does want to make it clear that we do not have to keep playing tug-of-war with our problems. When we act like the fact that we are praying harder makes Him desire to work faster, are we really letting God be in control? At some point we need to just make the choice. Do we rest? Or do we flee? If we choose to flee, we already know where our thoughts will take us. And if we rest? Where do we go? 1 Peter 5 6-7 reminds us, Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that He may lift you up in due time. Cast all your anxiety on Him because He cares for you. In other words, remember that His ways are still higher than our ways, but that He will lift up our countenance in due time while we wait on Him. Cast all of our anxiety upon Him because He cares for us, just as He cares for them. We don't need to help God in all things. But in all things we should let Him help us. This week I would challenge you, as He has challenged me continually. Stop tying God's hands with your doubt of His grasp on whatever situation you've been praying for. Instead of trying to control the outcome, try to control the income of the thoughts you dwell upon instead. Return to His Word. Rest in the comfort of His Spirit. And be saved from the stress of bearing a burden that sole purpose is to crush your faith. Some things we are just not meant to carry.